Would you please turn with me to your study outline, or if you'd like to use a mobile device, you'll see instructions how to do that there in your program, as well as behind me on the screen, uh, but otherwise, the study outline is right there in your program, um, and uh, so as you do that, I'd like to welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study here today, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church of Arco, Idaho, First Baptist Church of Kalispell, Montana, and the Hangar in Marion, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. Now, I want you to know, I prayed Friday morning. I come into my office, and I'm like, Lord, uh, should I go in a different direction based on the tragic events and the disunity and the tension within our country? And as I began to pray about it, I realized that what the Holy Spirit had given me to preach this morning a couple of months ago is absolutely perfect for what we're going through as a nation. And I really felt God saying, leave it alone, I've already planned for this. Uh, When he gave this to me a couple of months ago, weeks ago, if not months ago, uh, he knew the events of this past week. And so he knew that this is what we needed to hear. And so that's why uh, I'm going to stick with what we were going to do from John chapter 13. I will go in a bit of a different direction, uh, specifically at the end of the message or towards the end of the message. But you know, the headlines this morning... Uh, said, after week of bloodshed, cries for unity. This is the uh, headlines, the Sunday morning paper for the Inland Valley Daily Bulletin. And as I looked at that, Kimberly and I have been talking this week, that everybody's calling for unity and everybody's calling for us to just get along. But you know, there is no power for that outside of Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the cries for unity. It is in Jesus that walls are broken down, that bridges are built, and so it is back to him that we go in order to see the way forward as to what God is calling us to do as followers of Christ to be salt and light within our culture and society in the, in, in the coming days. And so the title of our series we've been doing this summer is called Upside Down. How Jesus reframes everything. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus need to turn our nation upside down? Does Jesus need to reframe everything in our country here today? Anybody want to say amen to that? And so today we're going to look how he does that in the area of greatness from John chapter 13 as we do a chapter-by-chapter study uh, through the Gospel of John. There were four uh, biographies of the life of Jesus. There were thousands of eyewitnesses to his miracles and resurrection. But there are four biographies written from four different perspectives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so the one we've been studying chapter-by-chapter is from a writer by the name of John who was an eyewitness to all the events of Jesus' life. How to be a great person in the eyes of God. Matthew 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? That is, he was about to die on the cross. Can you die for me as well? We can, they answered, and they did eventually die for being witnesses to the resurrection and proclaiming that in the Greco-Roman world at that time. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've already been prepared by my Father." When the other ten disciples heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers because they were mad they didn't think of it first. 
And their mother had not thought of it first, and so they're mad at mom. Jesus called them together. Okay, guys, huddle up. And said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And then with four words, he launched the greatest movement in world history. Not so with you. With four words, he changed history. With four words, he turned everything upside down. With four words, he reframed everything. Not so with you. Would you say those four words with me out loud together? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're we're the most like Jesus when we're serving other people, because he was a server. We're the most like Jesus when we give, because Jesus was a giver. We're the most like Jesus when we love, because Jesus, as we're going to see the word agape, the Greek word for selfless love, was an agape, was that kind of lover. And so we are the most like Jesus when we serve, when we give, and when we love. Jesus taught the law of inversion. This is a, co- a phrase coined by Dallas Willard, a writer. And there's this inventor named Stratton who invented goggles that makes you see everything upside down. They're a pair of goggles that you put them on and everything appears the other way around, just like that graphic that you've got there in, in your study outline, just like that. And when you put the goggles on, everything you look at appears upside down. And Jesus gave us those spiritual goggles when he said, not so with you. I'm going to turn the world upside down. Through you, I'm going to reframe everything. And so greatness in the eyes of God equals becoming a servant. And he tells us seven things in this chapter about the godly servant that he's calling us to be. Number one, godly servants are motivated by love. Verse one, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. He knew within 24 hours he was going to be executed on the cross and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Three Greek words for love. One is eros, from which we get erotic or physical love. One is phileo, which means a love of friendship, from which the city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, uh, gets its name. And this one is agape, which means selfless love. He uses this word 31 times in the next four chapters. In the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, he uses this word agape, love each other, 31 times before he died. Do you think he wanted us to get the message? Jesus says something once, pay attention. When Jesus says something 31 times in the last 24 hours of his life, we really need to pay attention. It's more, agape is more than a feeling. It's action. Uh, Love acts. Love serves. Love gives. Tom Holliday writes, When we think of a servant, we don't think of somebody who loves. We think of somebody who does something because they have to do it. They're forced to do it because it's their duty. The world is changed by people who are true servants. The kind of servants Jesus is talking about, servants who love. Servants who serve out of love are the ones that change our world for Christ. Now, I always say a picture is worth a thousand words. So let me just give you a four-minute picture 
of what Jesus is talking about here as Christ followers, what we are to do, how we can be Jesus, how we can love, give, and serve the way he did within our contemporary uh, culture. Let's watch this together. Just one block east of downtown Los Angeles is uh, one of the most dangerous, overlooked, marginalized places in the United States of America. And that's Skid Row. Uh, Skid Row is a place where horrible things happen all the time. Women and children are the most vulnerable to the crimes. But you also have gang members and drug dealers who sell drugs near rescue missions and uh, hinder efforts to help people in the area. This is where I work. This is where God called me to be. And I believe that with my whole heart. You know, the reality here is most people don't really like police officers. They're taught to hate us because they feel we're after them because of their social status or race or whatever. It's really hard to meet somebody you really want to help and have them reject you. Some of them hate my guts. And I really, truly, honestly care about them. I try to look at people the way I think God looks at people. And in spite of all our mistakes, God still loves us. So in spite of all the mistakes that a lot of the people in Skid Row have made, I want to show them that I love them and I want to help make their lives better. You got to get out of your car sometimes, remove your judgmental idea about who people are and what a good person should be, and, you know, and get out there and get to know these people because you'll find that even though some of them have a lot of problems, severe problems, mild problems, they're people. Let me fill it. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's it. That's the real deal right there. Look at you. All right. Officer Dion Joseph, call me Dion. They're told the police hate you. But I destroy that theory when I get out in that street because those folks will test you. If you say you care, they're going to hold you up to it. Okay, Joseph, you care? Put me in some housing. The Dion? Okay. Yes, oh, Dion. Yeah. If you're interested in some 90-day housing? Yes, yes. Okay. What I want you to do is Thursday. Go see my friend. She's, okay. a, she's a wonderful lady. Over time, the people see you for who you are, not what you are. They know I'm doing what I'm doing, not to harass them, but because I'm for them. All right? We'll do both. All right, ladies. Take care. Hey, how are you? You know, you're a star. How you doing? Because you love this kid around me. I do. I do. Get to know people on an individual basis. I know their names. I know when they've been sober. I know when they're high. People always ask me, how can you work here? How could you sit here all this time? My faith in God is what keeps me from packing up and leaving town. This is my assignment. It's like a driving force that keeps me having faith in this community. You know, it says, 
Don't let him go yet, Dion. Don't let him go. Now that's what Jesus looks like in 21st century Los Angeles. And we've got a lot of law enforcement uh, people within our church family. We've got a lot of police officers. And I tell you, every one of them that I know is just like that. And we praise God for them and for the way they serve us and protect us. And uh, some of the law enforcement people within our church family know Dion, and they work with him uh, there, there in, in Los Angeles. Number two, godly servants don't think, let someone else do it. They don't think, let somebody, uh, let somebody else do uh, the job. Next page of your study outline. Verse two, the evening meal was in progress. This is what we call the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper or communion. We're going to share that in a few minutes. And everybody here is welcome uh, to share the Lord's Supper with us as we remember his death on the cross. You, you just need to know that you're a follower of Jesus, that you're a part of this movement following Jesus. Everyone everywhere following Jesus. You just need to know that. You say, Glenn, how can I, uh, how do I, know if I've, if I've taken that step or if I'd like to take it today, how would I go about doing it? On the next page of your program, upper left-hand corner, it talks about how to be a follower of Jesus. And there are three steps the Bible talks about. And there's a suggested prayer at the end of that. And if you've prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or if you'd like to pray it uh, here today, you are very, very welcome to join this movement of Christ followers to be saved, to be forgiven of our wrongdoing on our way to heaven, and to change the world through love, giving, and serving. And so the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, three things to notice here. Number one, the devil is at work in Judas. Number two, the meal is in progress. And number three, hospitality has been neglected. Now, in this time, there were few paved roads. So when it was dry, there was a lot of dust. When it was wet, it was even worse because it was muddy. And remember, garbage was thrown into the streets and everyone wore sandals. Now, put all that together and just smell the feet in your mind's eye right now. Add to that that the average human foot has 250,000 sweat glands. Everybody's foot in here has 250,000 sweat glands. And so the custom was to have a servant at the door waiting to wash the guest's feet. But if you weren't wealthy enough to have a servant, then one of the guests would volunteer to do it. And the disciples are all looking at each other, and nobody's volunteering to do it. As Chuck Swindoll says, here's a room full of people with proud hearts and dirty feet. And so in verse 4, it says, as a result of this, nobody doing it, so he, Jesus, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So the towel was there. The dirty feet are there. The need was there. But everyone's hoping that someone else is going to wash the feet. Now, the disciples would have been reclined. And so here would be the table. Their heads would be towards the table, reclined, with their feet in outward from the circle, like spokes from a wheel. And so Jesus would start around washing all 12 of these pairs of, of feet. Now, uh, 
at our household, I don't know how it is at your household, but when the buzzer goes off in the dishwasher, everybody stares at each other. <laughs> Who's going to be the one to empty it? Now, I don't think that Kimberly should have to do it, so it's either me or, or Rebecca or Noah, and I'm the dad, so I tell them to do it and tell the kids to do it. <laughs> uh, you be the one. Now, I think if Jesus is just asked, hey, Thaddeus, uh, Peter's feet have quite an odor coming from them. Would you wash our feet? Thaddeus would have done it in a moment. But here's the key. Don't wait to be asked. When you see a need, offer to help. Let me change the diapers on the baby. Let me do the dishes tonight. Let me take the trash out. Let me uh, pick you up. Let me make a meal for you. I'm not making eye contact with Kimberly as I do all these. Okay, I want you to know. Averting eyes, averting eyes. Let me help. Husbands, when the baby cries in the middle of the night, don't pretend to be asleep. I did it, but I don't want you to do it, okay? <laughs> Number three, godly servants don't think I'm too important to serve. Verse three, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. This is such a powerful verse. Jesus knew that God had put all things under his power. When you look at a starry night, Jesus knew that God had given him authority over every star in the universe. His Father had given him authority over everything. Power, lordship, rulership over everything. And that he had come from God and was returning to, returning to God. So, as a result, he told the disciples, somebody wash my feet here. No, that's not what he did. If I had had that position, I would have done that. But that's not what he does. The father had put all things under his power. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Uh, took off his outer clothing, so he had a linen shell like a servant. Wrapped a towel around his waist, the look of a servant. He poured water into the basin like a servant. Began to wash their feet like a servant. Dried them with the towel that was wrapped around him like a servant, godly servants don't think I'm too important to serve. And then number four, godly servants are willing to receive help from Jesus. Verse six, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. It's a double negative. No, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In the Greek here, this word part means you have no inheritance with me. If I don't wash you, you don't inherit heaven with me. If I don't wash you, you don't inherit eternal life with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's talking about salvation. Within, an hour, within 24 hours, he's going to die on the cross and so we have to realize that godly servants are willing to receive help from Jesus. It's not what we do. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of rituals. It's not a list of chants that we chant or do's that we do or, or a list of don'ts that we don't do. It's not about what we do. It is about what he has done, D-O-N-E, on the cross for us. And so we receive help from Jesus. Jesus I need you like the man crucified next to Jesus. Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And today could be your day. Uh, if you're in Kalispell, if you're in Marion, if, if you're in Arco, if you're online, if you're here in, in Pomona, 
Right now, this could, this could be your moment. If you're watching online, you simply call out to the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. And so servants are called to serve, but they're also called to receive help from Jesus for their salvation and being made right with God. And then number five, godly servants will even serve their enemies. Now, wouldn't it be great if everyone we're called to serve was perfect? Wouldn't that be great? Was lovable? was kind, was a great guy or a great gal. Wouldn't that be great? But no, it's hard, isn't it? Because we're called to serve each other and we are imperfect. Verse 10, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Within 24 hours, Judas Iscariot is going to sell him out for $6,000, and yet he still washes the feet of Judas Iscariot. Let me ask you a question. What if all followers of Christ in our nation, in our culture, in our society, wash the feet of our enemies? What if we all, like Jesus, wash the feet of people we pursue to be Judas Iscariot? What if we did that? Would that transform our culture and our society? Would that be light? Would that be salt in our country and in our nation uh, here today? What if we all served our enemies? Number six, godly servants follow the example of Jesus. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. That phrase, I am, means uh, he's God. I am God. I am teacher. I am Lord. Now that your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you now should wash my feet. I wish he had said that, don't you? We'd all be lined up outside the door to wash Jesus' feet. But he said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, that's a lot harder, isn't it? I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What did Jesus do? Healed the sick, so we should minister to the sick. He fed the hungry, so we should feed the hungry. He encouraged the discouraged, so we should encourage the discouraged. He he prayed for children, so we should pray for children. He served the oppressed, so we should serve the uh, oppressed. Um, our, our son, uh, John, and his wife, Natalia, are leaving uh, soon as missionaries uh, to Peru. And John is a chef, and Natalia is a doctor. And so they said, we're going to just do the same ministry Jesus did. We're going to feed the hungry and heal the sick. So John, as a chef, is going to feed the hungry, and Natalia, as a doctor, is going to heal the sick. And so we, we follow his example. And then number seven, godly servants will reap an amazing reward from God. Verse 16, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. You will be rewarded if you do them. One of the core values of Purpose Church is everyone is designed to serve. We're all, God designed us with a a need to serve other people. We are most blessed when we are serving uh, other, other people. We, we are most like Jesus when we're serving others. And I want you to be praying about this fall because July is kind of the new August and August is the new September. Have you noticed that? How many of you, your kids, or kids in your family are going back to school in August? When I was a boy, we didn't go back to school till after Labor Day. That's the way God intended it, okay? But uh, we have drifted from that. And so July is kind of the new August. This is the month now when, when we begin to think, what are we going to do in the fall? 
And I'm just asking you, we're going to be challenging. We're going to have a volunteer Sunday in August, and we're going to talk more about that in the fall as well. And I just want you to be praying now. Does he want you to serve in children's ministry to invest in the next generation? Does he want you to serve in student ministries to invest in the next generation? Does he want you to serve in greeting ministry so that when people come onto our campus this fall, they feel the love of Jesus as they step onto our campus? What is it he's calling you to do? And I just want you to be praying about that, and we're going to give you the challenge in August as to having a culture of everyone is designed to serve within Purpose Church. And then another core value is that we're better together. Everyone's designed to serve and we're better together. Some final thoughts on serving. First of all, servanthood starts with loving the church. Now this is hard because everybody likes to love Jesus. It's hard to love the church. Everybody wants to serve Jesus, wash Jesus' feet, but it's hard to serve and to wash the feet of uh, the the church. And so this is where the the rubber really meets the road. This is when it gets difficult. I've told you this many times before. I have a theory that when you commit your life to Christ, okay, Hugo, I'll I'll, I'll warn you who was just baptized a few minutes ago, Hugo, when when you meet Jesus, Satan has a goal for you to, as soon as possible, meet the most obnoxious Christian possible. That's what he wants. He will line up a date. He will line up a rendezvous with the most irritating Christian, somebody that voted differently than you in the last election, somebody that, somebody that responded opposite the way you did to the events of this last week. He'll have you run into that person. Uh, he, he will make sure that you get discouraged because you love Jesus, but man, some of his followers. Um, it's like the porcupines huddled together. It's been said that the local church is like a group of porcupines huddled together on a cold winter's night. And it's cold out there, and we need each other's love and warmth and support. And so we huddle together. Problem is, we've got sin quills. You got quills, I got quills, all God's children got quills. And when we, the closer we get to each other, the more time we spend with each other, the more we poke each other with our sinful porcupine quills that we have. Another illustration I've often used is when you fall in love, she's so perfect and he's so perfect. They are just awesome. And then you meet their family. And there's odd Aunt Agnes from Minnesota. And there's weird Uncle Al from Mississippi. And then there's you know, odd cousin Joe from Nevada. And, 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 you, and, you know, it's like, they are so awesome. But then you meet their family. And the same thing is true with Jesus, that you meet Jesus and he's just terrific. And then you meet his family. And you're like, you mean I got to love them too? I want to love Jesus, but I got to love the family as well. That's why Jesus gave us this command. A new command I give you. Here's another one of the 31 loves of the last 24 hours of his life. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another by this. Would you repeat those two words with me out loud together? By this. This will be the sign that everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And I have a theory I'd like to add on to that, which is the more different we are, and yet the more we love us in spite of our differences, the greater witness it is to the onlooking world. The more different we are, and yet the more we love each other in spite of those differences, the more the outside world says two things. Number one, they must be followers of Jesus. And number two, Jesus must be the real deal. It's one of the reasons I love our church. 
we're better together. It's just remarkable, remarkable, the diversity. I mean, just the, today, there'll be worship services on our campus in three different languages. Uh, there's going to be three different worship styles. Um, multi-generational. We just did a demographic study of our church, and of the 7,000 people that in some way call this home, either they're uh, members or they're regular attenders or even occasional attenders, of those 7,000 people, do you know that there's 1,000 in each decade? That's how much even diversity we have in, you know, 1,000 ages 0 to 10, 1,000 ages 10 to 20, 1,000 ages 20 to 30, 40 to 50, 50 to 60, 60 and above, 1,000. And, and, and it's about 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000 times 7, evenly, very evenly across all age demographics within our church family. Most churches specialize in one generation. Uh, we specialize in seven decades or seven generations, okay? Do you know that our children's ministry now does not have a majority race within our children's ministry. That is not, everybody is under 50%. That's, that's the future of our church. Puts us in the upper 4% of churches diversity in America today. And I believe that that means Jesus is here. That's what I believe. I believe that the more different we are and the more we love each other in spite of our differences, the more that looks like heaven and the more powerful witness it is to the outside world. That's the way it was in the early church. They looked at them and said, look, Jews and Gentiles and, and slave and free, and they're all together in the same group. How did that happen? And the answer was Jesus. And it drew people to the body of Christ then, and it draws people to the body of Christ uh, today. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I'd like to ask Sean Svoboda and Donald Williams to come up. And they are both leaders within our church, and they are friends with each other in spite of their differences and their different perspective. Um, I have been stalking them on Facebook this past week in their dialogue about the week's events. Actually, I have it. Kimberly stalks, and she reports to me. So I just want you to know, everybody on Facebook, watch the pictures from Vegas last weekend. Kimberly will see it, report it to me. Okay, I just want you to know. Okay. So I'm just kidding. That, that was really creepy, wasn't it? Okay, at any rate, all right. So here we go. Here we go. Two different, different guys. Sean Svoboda is, um, is a sergeant with LAPD. He's a homicide detective in South Central. Um, and he is friends with Donald Williams, who is, uh, owns his own business. He's a, a financial consultant. But when you were 18 years old, you had a tough experience with law enforcement. I mean, the whole gun to the head, pinned to the ground with a drawn weapon to the head kind of experience when you were 18. Now, it wasn't Sean, was it? Okay, okay, that's good. I, 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 probably, I probably, probably should have checked that beforehand. But here we go. We had two guys, very different perspectives on, on, the la on the last week, and yet they are friends. How did that happen? One word. Jesus. Jesus. Now, what I ask him to do is to just uh, take about a minute each to, to pray for our nation, and we're going to pray along with them. And here's what I want you to do. Don't judge their prayer like, oh, I think they were imbalanced here, they were imbalanced there. Let's not parse their prayer. You know what? Let's just cry out to God for, it, for together, okay? Let's say, oh, God, help us. And, and, and most of all, God, help us to be like Jesus. Does that sound good? And here's something I hardly ever ask you to do. But if you're physically able, I'm going to ask everybody 
in, in, this, in the worship center here to kneel? Could we all kneel? If you're physically able, um, would, would, you, would you kneel right now? And let's have Donald first. And, uh, and by the way, I should have, have said, I gave the whole resume. Oh, no, I did. I did. Your financial. Okay, I did all that. Okay, let's kneel together. Go ahead, Donald. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sacrament of his body and blood and soul and divinity, God. And as we take communion today, God, we not only ask that you quicken your presence in us, but God, we also ask you to choose us. Choose us as individuals, as a church, as a community, God to be representations, pure representations of your agape love in this world, God. God, the world is in pain, and it has been in pain for a long time, God. And we just want to go outside the walls of the church and continue to not just display phileo, not just be compassionate with others, but to have the pureness of your love so others will see us And then look to you, God, and know that Jesus is real, God. And we can have a loving compassion for each other, God. And we can find that within our diversity, God, you are present, God. And you created us to be a diverse representation of you. And when we're unified, that's where your blessing is, God. And help us to be there. My God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are a good father and that you care for us so deeply. And I thank you that it's because of you that we have the ability to truly unify. And no matter where we are in life, it's because we have Jesus that we're able to come together in agreement in the things that matter, the things of eternity. And Lord, this world is a dark place. It's not ours. We're passing through. We don't live here. Lord, I pray you help us remember that, the things that matter, the things eternal. I pray that we as Christians would unify, starting in this church, in this nation, and throughout the world, and we would show the world what true unity looks like. Lord, I I pray for those who are hurting. I pray for those who have lost loved ones in, in all this violence. Lord, I pray you'd be with their families. I pray you be with the the sons and the the daughters, the husbands and the wives, those who have lost. Lord, I I pray that you would mend those wounds. I pray you'd be with uh, our men and women in uniform and you protect them. You'd encourage them. You'd give them wisdom and understanding. Lord, I I just thank you so much for, for all that we have here in this church and in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up, if you're still able to. (laughs) Nobody got stuck, did they? Let's let these two guys know we love them. We love them, and we praise God for them. That was awesome, you guys. Oh, my goodness. That was just perfect. Perfect. Can you put that down here, Sean? Would you put that down there? Okay, you guys can have a seat, and uh, let's just finish things up. Uh, A few other thoughts, final thoughts about serving. Uh, marriage is voluntary servanthood. I love my quote from my friend Dane Ocker. His wife said, 
Don't marry someone you want to go to the Hollywood Bowl with. Marry someone you want to clean the toilet bowl for. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> Honey, do you want to clean the toilet bowl for me? I know you do, yes. I don't think I've ever done it for you, actually, so uh, sorry about that. Uh, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is an old joke, and it's a, it's a terrible joke, but I'm going to read it nonetheless. A woman accompanied her husband to the doctor's office for a checkup. Afterwards, the doctor took the wife aside and said, unless you do the following, your husband will die. You need to make sure he gets three great meals a day. Don't let him do any housework and never disagree with him. He can't take the stress. On the way home, the husband asked his wife what the doctor had said. You're going to die, she replied. (laughs) Be willing to be inconvenienced. Everything you do, you're doing is unto Jesus. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it, you did it for me. Hospital visitors saw a nurse at Mother Teresa's hospital in India tending to the sores of a leprosy patient and said, I'd never do that for a million dollars. The nurse replied, neither would I, but for Jesus, I'll do it for free. And you know, I had a living example of this. Just preparing this message on Friday, whenever I'd walk out into the lobby of our administrative center there, uh, the brick building over here, I'd look out over the H building. And you know, the whole day in the H building, the building right over here in this direction, all day Friday, our ministry here from the church under the leadership of Pastor Tomiko, um, ministering to women in prostitution, victims of human trafficking, All day long, they were just ministering to the women from the streets here, mainly of Holt and Gary and of the streets here of Pomona. And you know, as a result of their outreach, two women on Friday decided to get out of that life. And and, and so we connected them with a restoration center that's out of the state to get them away from their pimps. And, and that's an extension of how God is using you as a church and downtown Pomona at the corner of Holton Gary. Um, there was also a partnership we had with Azusa Pacific, with the APU School of Nursing. And APU School of Nursing, in coordination with us in the H building over here, conducted a, a foot care clinic. And it means that they spent the day washing and caring for the feet of women in prostitution, uh, trafficking victims, and the men and women who live on the streets of Pomona. I think Jesus would be pretty happy about that. And then finally, make it organic. Don't wait for the church to organize something. If you see a need, just think of the Nike slogan, which I think is at the book of Proverbs somewhere. Just do it. Just do it. You know, if you see something, say, man, the church ought to do something about that. Or somebody ought to do something about that. Maybe you're the only person the Holy Spirit has revealed that need to. And so may, maybe we don't need to get all kinds of bureaucracy and organization involved in it. Just, just do it. If you see a need uh, that you think God wants somebody to do something about, just, just, just do it. And here's an assignment uh, I, I want to give to you. Uh, how many of you got the paper towels when you came in here um, uh, today? 
Um, everybody, when they saw me do this, they said, oh, you're just copying Pastor Lisa. Lisa, Pastor Lisa always does this in her sermon, so I'm just copying Pastor Lisa here. Uh, take this paper towel, and I want you to take it home with you and look for one person to serve today or early as possible this week. And after you serve that one person, then just throw it away as an offering to the Lord, okay? This is almost like an offering to the Lord. And so just, you can keep it if you want to as a reminder to continue to serve and what we've studied here today. But just take it and serve one other person. Look for one other chance to do that. And after you do that, uh, then just throw this away as an offering as unto the Lord. So now let's take a moment just to remember and to prepare our hearts for communion. Remember, we do the Lord's Supper to remember that Jesus was a lover, and so we are to love. Uh, Jesus did agape, so we do agape. Jesus served, so we are designed to serve. Jesus gave, and so we give, because generous people transform uh, society. So let's take just a moment now and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.